Okay. Are we on, Paul? Hopefully. How's everyone doing? Okay? Yeah? God got your attention this morning? Yeah? Has God got your attention this morning? Have we heard him speak? Have we heard man speak out of their own heart as well? Yes. Have we heard the Spirit of God? Yes. Have we heard personalities? Yes. We've also heard the Spirit of God. Let's be a people that learn to discern the difference. I want you to weigh what I have to say today. Okay? 50 verses, 30 minutes. <laughs> Very frustrating. But let's get a sense of what God is trying to say to us. As I share, I just want you to weigh what I have to say today. Weigh it against other things that have been shared here. Weigh it in cell groups and uh, just pray about it. But I, I just have a sense that I may be able to contribute one or two little jigsaw pieces this morning to the wider picture of what God is saying to us. Is that okay? Is that too loud? Um, because... 100% of what I share this morning will not be truth. <laughs> it won't be. But there may be one or two bits in there that you just sense the Spirit of God just speaks to you. So hold on to those and discard the rest. I've got quite a strange title for this morning. I've called it Pick a Mountain. Pick a Mountain. Choose a Mountain. And mountains aren't mentioned once in this scripture. It's a nightmare chapter. I was really hoping when they came around I'd get chapter 13 because I love chapter 13. And I hope to kind of avoid chapter 12. It's very theological. I hope Steve would get that one. But, um, you know, it was heads and I called tails and there you go. So I want to talk firstly about the whole issue of worship. Something that's very dear to God's heart and is very dear to my heart. I want to talk about when worship is opposed and when the kingdom is contested. And I plead with you, try and stay engaged just for half an hour. I do realise it's difficult, but just try and stay engaged. You see, it was the Sabbath, and, and uh, different interpretations. That DVD has one interpretation, but uh, I think there was quite a battle going on as Jesus was walking through the field with his disciples. They were on their way to the place of worship, which for them in those days was the synagogue. And on their way, they were being observed and they were being watched. As you came in this morning, you were observed and you were watched. The way you parked across someone's drive, the way you dropped litter, the way you shouted across the road, we were observed. Often, when we come to worship, we encounter accusation, criticism, unhelpful observations and religious expectations. Is that familiar to anyone? Yeah? You see, I'll tell you why. Because the enemy hates the fact that we are coming to worship God. He hates it. That's why it's such a battle. The, the, the objective of the enemy, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, his objective is to draw worship away from God and to bring it all to himself, to make himself the focus. Now, as you know, 
I like to talk a lot about Jesus. It's Jesus this, Jesus that. Do you want a Jesus cup of tea? But I just want to take five minutes to talk about the enemy. Hold on to your hats. It's from the Bible. Don't be scared. We're going to come back to Jesus. But his name is Lucifer. So why do I want to talk about him? Well, I think sometimes we need a bit of meaty theology as well as wonderful Julian principles that are impossible to live by, yeah? Oh, Julian's given us another 15 things that we could apply to our lives. Well, let's look at some hardcore theology. So if you'd like to turn to Ezekiel 28, we're going to do a five-minute Bible study on the devil. Boo. Boo. Okay. Now, there's two, there's two prophetic scriptures. One's in Ezekiel and one's in Isaiah. And they talk about Lucifer. Now, there were three kind of top angels in heaven. Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer, basically, his job, from what we can make out from the word of God, was to, was to kind of lead the worship in heaven towards God. That's how God created. He is a created being. Okay? He's a created being. And we see the prophetic word in Ezekiel speaking about this angel called Lucifer. So we're in in chapter Ezekiel 28, and we start at verse, uh, halfway through verse 12. So this is the prophet talking about Lucifer. Okay? You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, important that, they were prepared. You were the anointed, you were anointed as the guardian cherub, or you were the anointed cherub who covers, some versions say. You were on the holy mount of God, you walked amongst fiery stones. You were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. So just get that picture in the heavens. Here's this wonderful, beautiful being with music and abilities built into him. And then sin was found in him. So what was that sin? Well, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 14. We're not going to talk to him for long, about him for long, so don't worry. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. Again, the prophet is talking about this guardian angel, Lucifer, and he says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, here comes the sin, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly to the uttermost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave 
and to the depths of the pit. The word of God gives us an astonishing insight into something way beyond my comprehension. Of here is this beautiful creature that is created to worship God and sin is found within him. And because sin and the presence of God don't go, he was cast down and arrived in Eden. No more time to unpack that. But since then, on earth, from Eve onwards, and Adam, because he was the responsible one who didn't take responsibility, he's been seeking to move worship away from God towards himself. You see, the ultimate sin of the enemy, worship from God to himself. Even in his temptation of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he said, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this, and you don't have to worry about all that cross stuff. And Jesus said, it is written. It is written. He hit him with the word of God. Worship the Lord your God, and him only shall ye serve, as it says. You see, there are always arguments. Always arguments about worship, aren't there? It's a major part of the spiritual battle we face is simply this. Who will I worship? We're going to worship God. We're going to worship our family. Even those last few verses there. Money, appetites, career, a happy, contented retirement, my self-centeredness, my image. What are we worshipping? Worship will always be a battleground. It's not just, oh, I don't like that song Julian sang. Worship is so much more. There's something very demonic behind it. Now, this chapter speaks a lot about the activity of the enemy. It's fun. You join us. Fun, isn't it? Yeah? Still there? Yeah? Okay. It talks a lot, this chapter talks a lot about the activity of the enemy, both directly and indirectly. But I believe that if our heart is to worship God, God sees our heart. If we are moving in the right direction, our heart is to worship God. Because the Bible says, 1 John 4, verse 4, it says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. As, John, as David said earlier, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Saviour, you get all the benefits. We're adopted. We're his children. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we don't go looking for the devil. We don't see him under every stone. We're careful. We don't joke about him, mess him about. But basically, Jesus Christ is Lord. He is sovereign, and he has beaten the devil through his death on the cross. That perfect price has been paid. Hallelujah. You see, today's culture, the media... It just battles against everything we we believe, doesn't it? The laws in the land are changing, and it battles against what we believe. And Jesus was facing this. You could see this. He was walking with the disciples, and they were asking him these questions. But despite that, Jesus was not distracted. He continued to heal people. He continued to love people. He continued to deliver people. He didn't get so knotted up in theology that he stopped reaching out. Let's be careful. We do need to be careful. We don't get caught up in what I call charismatic moaning. Oh, they've changed the laws. Oh, they're anti-Christian. Oh, these other religious groups. Let's, Let's just biblically 
rebuff accusations that come our way. But let's continue to pray for the sick, to see people delivered, to, to bless people, not get so caught up in all the things that aren't right. Let's do the job. <laughs> let's, Jesus said go, so let's go. He didn't say debate, he said go. And when we go, we have to be single-minded. There was a, a guy called Gehazi who was sent by Elisha when uh, the widow's son was, had died. And he said, take my staff and lay it on the boy's Lay it on the boy and he will recover. And Gehazi went off and he said, don't greet anybody. Don't say hi to anybody. Stay focused on your job in hand. And you know what? We sometimes need to be focused on the job in hand. Sometimes we can come across to the world, even to one another, as a little bit detached. The reason for that is God has given us a job to do and we need to do that job. We need to be doing what God has called us to do. Do you find Sunday mornings, sometimes it all kicks off? Yeah, you find that? An hour before cell group, cat's sick, <laughs> car won't start. Yeah? Is that in your world or is it only us? It's contested. You know, we battle. But we also need to be sensitive to one another. I've been amazed. It only happened a couple of times in this church. I've been staggered by some of the things people have said to me just before I've led worship. Oh, Julian, um, this wasn't here. Um, Julian, now... Just you're just going up to lead worship, preach or something, and, and say, "Oh, just wanted to let you know, Mrs. Smith is really upset with you because you said you'd ring her, and you haven't phoned her yet. She's really upset with you, but I'll tell you about it afterwards." <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, yes. yeah. Guys, it's really tough. <laughs> we have enough trouble with the world, so let's be sensitive to one another too. <laughs> let's be sensitive to one another. When we preach or when we lead worship, or if, you know, if you're leading a section cell, you're giving a little bit of yourself. You're, you're giving, it means you're more vulnerable. It means some people are tough and strong and can take it. But some of us are all vulnerable and hurt. <laughs> Be nice to the preachers. <laughs> I put it here, don't dump on the leaders, but I'm not going to share that. But you know, Jesus, he was great. I mean, wasn't he great? You know, he just gently, firmly, and scripturally dealt with the disciples, but he kept the focus, which was, I'm going to heal the sick, I'm going to raise the dead, I'm going to cast out demons, I'm going to be good news. And then he arrived at the place of worship, and he was ready. Next question. When we arrive at the place of worship, are we ready? We want to hear more prophecies. We want people to read scriptures. We want to hear the word of God on a Sunday. How? Because people have prepared. People have prepared. Janet didn't just think, oh, I'll read a scripture. It might have been bubbling in her heart for the last few days. Looked it up. Hmm, shall I read that? Shan't I read that? It's about preparing ourselves to come to worship. Secondly, tradition was disrupted. I think I like this one, but I'm not sure. So please weigh what I have to say. There was a man in there at the place of worship who had a shriveled hand. Now the man came to where he thought the answer was. He was there. The sick of mind, the sick of body, the sick in spirit are going to make their way to where we are 
as a beacon family. They are going to come wherever that is. And when the sick come amongst us, are they going to find tradition? They're going to find Julian all tied up with the law and kind of getting it right. Or are they going to find Jesus? Because they're going to come. may only be once, but they're going to come. Remember, he is in us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not Christ in you and get John to sort it out. Christ in us, the hope of glory. How much do we desire, we've spoken about it this morning, the power to see people set free, to see people delivered. Wouldn't it be utterly terrifying to get some demons out in this building? Wouldn't it be scary? Ever seen that? Seen a couple of what I would think were genuine ones. Terrifying. (laughs) Our pastor even got punched on the nose. Blood was coming out of his face. He was chasing this girl under a chair. (laughs) It's scary. It's messy. But Jesus sets the captives free. And that's good news for a world out there. Very good news. Matthew Henry says about this passage, if we do, if whatever we do, we do in the name of Christ, we do it unto him. It shall be graciously accepted by God. Hallelujah. However, it may be censured by man. It's a battle. When we start praying for the sick, when demons do start coming out, it's going to cause a reaction. You have to be ready. Both Steve and I didn't like John and Steve's last. Anyone not like John and Steve's last preaches? And I'll tell you why I didn't like them. Because it spoke right to my heart that there is a cost. There is a cost to what Jesus is presenting us with. There's a cost. And I don't like that. It's going to cost us, friends. It really is going to cost us. I was going to dig out some quotes from David, but fortunately we're out of time. But this comes from a place of freedom. Remember, it's under grace. We sang, didn't we? Only by grace we can enter. So it's it's out of that freedom of grace and grace that we come and say, Holy Spirit, teach us, lead us. How can your kingdom increase? How can you use me? How can we see the captives set free? How many people here got saved to the song, I surrender, all to Jesus, I surrender? Come on, there must be someone here. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all, I surrender all. Come on, Eileen. All to thee, my loving Saviour, I surrender all, except I won't. (laughs) Like I said, it's time for Julian to die. Here's the challenge. What's it going to cost us to see people saved? What's it going to cost us to see people set free. And yet, it's all about grace. So don't be heavy. It's all about grace. We live under grace. There could be financial cost. Maybe the cost of leaving the security of this building. Maybe changing how we do church. Maybe changing how we do meetings. All night prayer meetings. Hallelujah. Up for it. Got plenty of energy. Maybe it's just going to John and David saying, would you speak into my life? Could I be accountable? Would you speak into my life? Maybe that's a tougher one. There is a battle 
going on. It used to be a chorus we sang about 15 years ago. Deep in my heart, there's a battle going on. Jesus, to use a 50s phrase, is our captain. Dare we pray, Lord, speak to us. Lead us, give us strength and grace to respond. Because we want to respond not out of traditional duty, but out of love for this saviour that we surrendered to. I'd like you to really weigh this, okay? Weigh this. This is not, thus says the Lord, this is me sharing my heart now. I believe God is saying to us at Beacon, brothers and sisters, we have been at this mountain too long. Break camp. Break camp. It's time for us not only to move spiritually, it's time for us to move physically. We need to move. We need to move. Now, why do I say I'm not necessarily saying we need to move building. I'm just saying we need to move physically. Let me unpack that. God, as we've heard this morning, is a God of creation. We heard about the moon works in its perfect orbit around the earth, which is also in its perfect orbit amongst the planets, which are in their perfect orbit with all the moons going around the planets. Okay, we don't agree with man's interpretation of how it all came into being. We believe it was God. God is a God of movement and he is a God of of change. So just just hear me. The seasons, movement and change, life, growth, death, the wind which we heard about this morning, the sea, its movement and its change. This is our God. Shall we move in step with the Spirit of God? It could well cost us everything. I put could well in. It could well Costs us everything. Jesus spoke about counting the cost. Let's be real. He said, you're going to build a tower. Don't you think about the tower? Don't you think about how much it's going to cost? Because if you don't finish it, everyone's going to go, no, 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 you didn't finish your tower. Or you're going to go and fight in your army. There's 200 of you and there's 2,000 coming towards you. You think, hmm, <laughs> there's only one way to find out. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? Jesus with Harry Hill, that would be interesting, wouldn't it? But no, there's 2,000 of them, 200 of us, let's get terms for peace. Jesus was very practical. Let's get terms for peace. Consider the cost. It's okay to consider the cost. See, I don't believe, and again, you know, hold this lightly, I don't believe we need another Pentecost. We've had Pentecost. We need the outpouring of the Spirit of God that he has for us today. That's what we need. Billy Graham was superb and exactly the right thing in the 50s and 60s. Even my dad saw a miracle at one of those Billy Graham. It was exactly the right thing. God is doing something new, which is why we need to pray for David and John, that they can hear the voice of God to say, how is it relevant to us today? What is God saying to us today? Or we're going to fill up football stadium. How many people in, in Olympia had a mobile phone on them? None. How many Olympia at the, at the next show will have a, um, a phone on them? Tens of thousands. The world has changed. And God is changing. God is moving. Yet he's still the same. It's amazing. So please weigh this. Pick a mountain. Sinai or, tr- or the Mount of Transfiguration. Pick a mountain. Sinai, it was a mountain of the fading presence of God. God was there. One man went up. The cloud came down. 
there was like this great show going on on top. It was fantastic, the presence of God. Scary too. And it was all about the law. And yet on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was there. And the disciples got a glimpse of his glory. A glimpse of what it was to come. I know many here long for the glory. Long to be in the sweet bye-bye. That's fine. But they saw a glimpse. They saw a glimpse of something else. And there's still a choice. Are we going to go under law for what's worked in the past? Or are we just going to walk with Jesus, wake up in our prayers and suddenly see him in a fresh light? It's kind of like, Julian, wake up and see me in a fresh light. I got a fantastic book. It's a really modern book. It's called The Believer's Pathway, printed in 1891. It's fantastic. There's some great men and women of God. Oh, wonderful. And it's got this phrase in it. By an unknown speaker, he said, or he or she said, we often sink from the holiness of truth, that is in Christ, to the holiness of Moses. That is from the holiness of Zion to the holiness of Sinai. Now, I'm using old-fashioned language there. Let me read that again. We often sink from the holiness of the truth as it is in Christ to the holiness of Moses. That is from the holiness of Zion to the holiness of Sinai. We are not a people who are under the law. Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. We have new life. And we've been, many of us have been walking with this Jesus for a long time. And I feel we kind of need to have a sleep on a mountain and open our eyes and see who this Jesus really is. He heals at Bible weeks, yeah. He speaks to me through daylight. He speaks to me through Premier Radio. He speaks to me as I have my little time on the keyboard getting all excited in tongues. Yes, yes, yes. But also, for him to reveal himself, it would change me. Oh my goodness, it would change me. Suddenly, protecting my, my, my bank account wouldn't be so important. Protecting my image wouldn't be so important. Worrying about serving and being a fool for Christ wouldn't be so important. Because when we see him, it really does make a difference. But we still have to make a choice because many met him and were changed. So despite the demonic battle that was brewing, Jesus, Jesus in all humility, he called the man out with the withered hand. In all of this... Jesus is still concerned about the person who is unwell. What a saviour. In the midst of religion gone mad, in the midst of the the accusations, Jesus heals the man. (coughs) Hallelujah. The Pharisees said, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Did they care about the man? Who cares? The man got healed. Remember in John, the, 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 boy, the man that was born blind? And they had, there's, there's this guy, he's blind, which means he probably couldn't work. He had to beg. He had a low standard of living and so forth. And, and they're having this big discussion about it. Did his parents sin? Did his parents sin? Is that why he's blind? Jesus just, just healed him. <laughs> he just healed him. Isn't that wonderful? Not about law and legalism. It's about doing the work of God. They saw the healing, and then the Pharisees went out and plotted to kill Jesus. I'm going to leave that whole section. (laughs) Jesus, unfortunately, 
wants to disrupt how we do things. He wants to. Not an excitable, young, charismatic. I'm not talking about me here. (laughs) Jesus wants to disrupt how we do things. He wants to get our attention. How can we make an appeal for someone to get saved after the first song? I mean, what's going on here? That's because Jesus wants to get our attention. He wants to disrupt. And Fred comes out and shares that. Why? Because Jesus wants to get our attention. He wants to get our attention. Why do you have that niggle? Because you struggle with cell group. Because Jesus wants to get your attention. Because it's good for the body to be together. He wants to get our attention. And yet, in that, it's grace. Galatians 2, it says in verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, so I might live to God. Hallelujah. Then the one we know, because I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Let me read to you a book which I've really enjoyed, or enjoying, I haven't quite finished it. It's by a chap called uh, Greg Haslam. I know one or two of you have got this book. And um, so this is not me. This is, this is great. This is about moving. Sometimes we stop moving on because we face setbacks, discouragements and opposition in our Christian life. Yeah? We get tired, we get weary, Galatians 6. It's easy to retreat into the security of our comfort zone, the cosy and the familiar, where we resist growth and change because we dread the turmoil it may create. Reading me like a bookmate. Most churches are founded on some form of historic tradition. And, of course, godly tradition can be helpful, enriching, strengthening, inspiring, and wise. But as we look back on the activities and programs and methods that God anointed in the past, when our church was just beginning, we have to make sure that it is still anointing, um, that he is still anointing them in the present day. Otherwise, tradition has dwindled away into nothing more than traditionalism. Here it comes. Tradition is the living faith of those now dead, but traditionalism is the dead faith of now those now living. Now living. As Mark Twain once said, the only people that want change is a baby with a wet nappy. Okay. Now, you might notice I'm wearing a tie this morning. Just about everybody has commented. I struggled big time with doing this, I can tell you, because I knew it was about humbling myself. I had a much better one with chocolate, which I didn't feel the Lord was going to let me do. The only time I've worn a tie here is for a wedding and a funeral. It's the only time I've worn a tie. Because my tradition is I wear a kind of an open shirt. So I sense the Lord say to me, for today, you change your tradition, Julian. You do differently. You do it differently. Just a little sign that it's different. I'll be back to the T-shirt next week. I hope. But it's just a little sign because whatever he says to you, do it. If we, can be, if we can be good stewards of the little, he will trust us. He will trust us with more. Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm going to leave the rest of it. I really believe that we've heard today that God wants to do business with us. God has spoken to us already. 
about some with ligament damage. I think that's probably me, because this arm has been so painful for weeks. Now, I've it, apart from Julia, no one's known about it. I'm just doing my head in. I want to be prayed for. We've got, I know we've got someone here who's got a bad back anyway, but I'm, there are others here who've got bad backs. Give me a wave. If there's more than one, then I know I'm on. Oh, good. Phew, that's a relief. Great. Okay. So I, I genuinely, I know it's the end. We're going to have coffee now, and you know we're going to keep it nice and chilled. But let's pray for the sick. I'm sick. I need prayer. I humble myself. I need prayer. Let's pray for one another. We can do that over coffee. We can do it in here. We, do it. we can just chill. Jesus just went about doing good, didn't he? And uh, so let's pray for one. Let's just stand, shall we? Thank you for your attention. It's much appreciated. There are notes there for cell group. So, um, oh, Steve, do you want to just uh, come and just play that quietly in the background? That would be, be great. Margaret, can you go and pray with April? Yeah, that would be great. That's good. And uh, Mr. Tarr, could you pray with John, please? Do you want to join him, Tom, to pray for John's back? That's good. Anyone else who's got a, a dodgy back? No. Let's pray for one another. Eileen, if you want to put the coffee on, that's fine because it's family. Father God, let's just focus our eyes completely on Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you said we would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. We want to pray for April. We want to pray for John, Lord. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you impart life and health in Jesus' name. The power of an age to come. Lord, we speak it into John and April. Healing in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anyone else who wants to be prayed for? You can turn the tape off, by the way, please. Don't this is private. Yeah? Yeah? Lovely. David, could you pray with Bill? Ivan, pray with Bill? want to be prayed for? Anyone else sick here, Barbara? Migraine with pain in the eye. Who's been getting migraines with pain behind your eye? It's because God loves you. That's why he's sharing it. 